I was having a conversation with a friend who was way into computers when we were younger and was a fan of Apple. And he's asking me, Michael, what happens if the company goes down? These are the computers I love. I said, company's not going down. One of two things is going to happen. Company's going to rebound or Microsoft is going to buy them because of the value of the technology. Okay, assuming you can get through antitrust. Reality, this stock is an absolute steal. And so what did I not do? I didn't follow the instruction I gave to a friend of mine. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name's Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Michael Falk. Michael, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, Andrew. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the audience. Michael is a CFA charter holder and a certified retirement counselor. He is a partner at the Focus Consulting Group and specializes in helping investment teams improve their investment decision-making, investment firms with their strategic planning, and mediating firm successions. Previously, he was a chief strategist at a global macro fund and a chief investment officer in charge of, of manager due diligence and asset allocation for a multi-billion dollar advisory practice. Michael's an author, co-author, and frequent speaker. In 2016, he wrote the CFA Institute Research Foundation monograph, Let's All Learn How to Fish to Sustain Long-Term Economic Growth. He is a part of the CFA Institute's approved speaker list. In the past, he has taught on behalf of CFA Society of Chicago in their Investment Foundation Certificate Program, been a contributing member in the Financial Management Association's Practitioners Demand Driven Academic Research Initiative Group, and taught at DePaul University in their Certified Financial Planner Certificate Program. He's frequently quoted in the financial press and presents at industry's events. Wow, Michael, can you take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life? The, my life. So what a lot of people get to know at some point after they beat me is I'm a has-been athlete. I actually played competitive baseball until I was 31 years old. But for some strange reason, in my early 20s, I realized that wasn't going to turn into a career. And I needed to get myself properly educated and situated to actually have a career. So, Picture yourself in your early 20s. What is it that is catching your interest and holding it? All right, well, we're not going to go there, Andrew. We're not going to go there. What we're going to say is money. So I was, I was just interested in money, and it wasn't about large amounts. It was about how it drove behavior and very quickly got interested in the behavioral finance side, but kept playing ball and working on the side until parts just started to hurt too much. <laughs> so truly money ball. He was learning about money and playing ball. That is correct. Money ball man. All right. Well, that's great. And uh, I have to say, I was never an athlete in any way. I tried when I was young, but I kind of gave up. But since I've gotten older, I got a beautiful park right out my window here in Bangkok, Thailand. And generally, every morning at about 5 a.m., you'll see me there. So any listeners who are in Bangkok and up 
at five in the morning and just finishing, <laughs> finishing your evening on the town, I'll see you at the park. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, yeah, I don't want to ruin the podcast in terms of my worst investment ever. I've got two that stand out, head and shoulders above all the rest of being purely bonehead. But odd as it may seem, it wasn't about losing money. It was about not making money. I'm going to give you two stories. You know both companies. One is Apple. The other one is Philip Morris. I don't mean Altria Group. I'm talking years ago when it was Philip Morris. Oddly enough, both of my mistakes, which my wife likes to remind me about from time to time, happened at roughly $8. If you'll allow me, I will explain. Do it. <laughs> Apple, Apple was starting to tank. This is before Steve Jobs came back and saved the company and did what we all now know what he did. It was trading down around $8 a share. And I'm having a conversation. See, I can make these claims because I have actually have people that could testify to these things. I was having a conversation with a friend who was way into computers when we were younger and was a fan of Apple. And he's asking me, oh, Michael, what happens if the company goes down? These are the computers I love. I said, company's not going down. One of two things is going to happen. Company's going to rebound or Microsoft is going to buy them because of the value of the technology. Okay, assuming you can get through antitrust. Reality, this stock is an absolute steal. And so what did I not do? I didn't follow the instruction I gave to a friend of mine. Now, think about this. Apple at $8. This is, this is not after splits. This is before. This is, before, this is when Jobs came back. Second one at $8, I messed up. I actually started my career in private wealth before I went institutional money management. Had a client, husband, wife, lovely people. Client had inherited a stock portfolio from his father who passed away. And I'm going through this portfolio because it, we have to make this fit with the rest of his plan, his investment plan. And he had such unbelievably low cost basis in a lot of these securities. So now we're talking about whether or not we're going to hedge out the risk. All right. One of them was Philip Morris. Philip Morris had started to take a beating because this is when the U.S. government was going after the tobacco companies in terms of the healthcare lawsuits, if you will. And Philip Morris was trading down around $8 a share. I seem to have a weakness around $8 a share. So if I was in China, because that's good luck, Lucky right? I've, got a, I've got a real issue. I can never be an investor in China. Anyway, I digress. All right. So Philip Morris, $8 a share. The dividend payment at the time was roughly 8%. So unless you believe the dividend payment was going to be cut, we're not talking about a, a P-E ratio, we're talking about a D to P ratio, unheard of. So I dug into the legal research. I actually started to read the case history on the lawsuits against Philip Morris, right? This is what a good analyst should do. I came away thinking, this is a slam dunk. There is no way the government is gonna put him out of business. If they put him out of business, 
they can't continue to rake the fees off of them to satisfy the healthcare constituents in the lawsuits state by state by state. The government actually needs the business to survive, to make the payments. Another great insightful level of research for such a young age. Go figure. So my client, so I come back to my client and he says, Michael, I think I'm going to sell Philip Morris. I don't like what's going on. This is before ESG. All right. This is before those days. This is 20, 25 years ago. And I said to him, I looked him in the eye and I said, Jack, his name was Jack. I said, Jack, if you sell Philip Morris, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> this is an odd motivational technique with a client. I don't recommend trying this. So he looked at me and, and trying to understand if I was serious or not. I said, you cannot sell this stock. It is an unbelievable steal. You're getting paid to wait. You're not going to get an 8% dividend growing anywhere else in the world. Government can't put them out of business. Oh, and by the way, if you sold it now, your tax bill is going to be quite high. You've got every incentive to keep this thing in your portfolio. So did I personally go out and buy it? Of course not, because it was trading at $8 a share. So I've got two stories. Uh, my downfall in investing is I don't take a lot of risk. I don't take a lot of risk. So, and historically, because of the nature of my work, private wealth counseling or institutional advisory counseling, I've avoided individual securities most often because I want to avoid conflicts of interest. So I've stuck with either active or passively managed mutual funds by and large. So I have very few stories other than the fact that I take very little risk consistently. All right. So I could be a richer man right now, Andrew. Yes. In fact, we could be doing this on a yacht somewhere in an ocean. Yeah. yeah. However, here we are. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you, what lessons did you learn from this experience? Well, let me talk about the impacts because those drove the lessons. The impacts is, it was very soon thereafter I realized my errors in both these cases that, you know, the, the famous Homer Simpson moment where you slap your head and you yell, dough. And what it was, was it was a knock to my self-esteem. So I internalized that, right? So you're a professional educated investor. You know this stuff. How do you make a mistake like this? Well, in my case, it's why are you so unwilling to take the risk? It was a knock to my ego. Well, if you know so much, how come you're not worth more money? Which is a complete fallacy in the world. We just have to come to recognize that. What I took away from it is, for better or for worse, most often remain invested. Depending upon what the purpose of the money is and what your goal is and where your goal is out in time scale, stay the path. And, and you know, the best piece of research, I, I've got to make two references on this occasion. In January of 2017, there was a professor who published a piece, okay? The professor's name was Henrik uh, Besson, uh, what's it, Besson, I'm going to draw a blank on his name. This is going to drive Besson Binder, excuse me. 58% of stocks fail to beat treasury bill returns over their lifetimes. 38% stocks beat treasury bill returns by just moderate amounts. 
if you look at the total return of the market index over time, trouncing T-bills, for just over 4% of stocks are responsible for all of it. This research just further embellished maybe what I internalized. Should I be trying to pick stocks mm. in the first place? So what I've taken away from this is, unfortunately, the same theme that the darn lottery companies try and pull on us. You got to be in it to win it. Got it. If you've got an appropriate time period to be invested, get invested, be widely diversified, and stay the course. Got it. All Those right. Those are my takeaways. And I'm going to attach that research into the show notes because uh, I want to read it. And I know the listeners would want to read it. Let me, uh, let me summarize what I took away from your story and, and let me know if I've missed anything. And the first thing um, is that what's a key part of building an investment plan is actually executing it. So yes. there's steps involved in investing. And I, I have six steps that I come to from my interviews and all my work, which is basically step one, find an idea. Step two, research the return. Step three, assess the risk. Step four, create the plan. Step five, execute the plan. And then step six is monitor progress. I, you could say exit is step six, except that, you know, there's maybe that, that's not going to always be the case. You may just want to keep holding. So monitor the progress. But the point is you've got to act. Um, yeah. The other well, thing. May I add a seventh yeah. step? Yes. Seventh step. Find somebody who will be the devil's advocate, the raging skeptic. Put whatever label you want on this person. Yep. Present all of your research, your findings, and ask them, tear it apart, poke holes in it. And if they can't, you know you've done good work. Now, they have to be fairly educated and skilled, but we can find these people. Yep, yep, definitely. And I like that idea, and I've listened to uh, one of the interviews I've had in the past where uh, he talked about every time that a, someone on his team comes up with an idea that they want to buy, there's going to be one opposing person whose job it is to present the opposite side or yes. most importantly, to have a veto. Yeah. Well, I design this. When I work with investment teams, I design and I teach people how to properly do devil's advocacy, how the role gets assigned, how it rotates amongst team members and how the action is supposed to be taken in a decision-making meeting. You can actually create constructs around this topic to raise the quality of a decision materially. Beautiful. That's great stuff. And I think uh, for the listener, you know, there's a lot of gold in this interview, but also, you know, uh, follow up with Michael to try to learn more. But uh, let's yeah, And now, don't be afraid of stocks selling at $8 a share, clearly. Yes. yes. $8 money ball man. That's my <laughs> name for you. Now, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate at that moment in time that you were faced with this great research that you did or this understanding that you had, what's that one piece of action? I think the easiest piece of action that they could follow, because it's not just the piece of action, but one they can actually use, make it simple, is instead of dreaming about buying the next Amazon, the next Google, the next Apple, the next Tencent, the next Alibaba, instead of dreaming about finding that next juggernaut of a stock, buy the market. Okay, got it. That Everybody can, take, can do that, it. That can take a lot of the 
uh, decision out of it. Um, one of the things that I would say to the listeners too is that if you find yourself in a situation where you, you've got a good idea, and we've definitely had people on the show that have talked about the idea of the opportunities that they missed, like Walmart, Amazon, and the like. One way of dealing with that, besides obviously the great advice you've said is buy the market, is just take a small position. Sure. And that's another way of just saying, I'm just going to, just a little bit. I mean, the mistake most people make is that they think of a huge position and then that, you know, overwhelms them. So. Yeah. And keep in mind that if it really is going to be a juggernaut, that small position is going to become a huge position. Correct. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. You've got 4% chance of that according to the research. <laughs> yes. yes. So now, <laughs> I, I can't wait to get that. Um, I'm going to search that as soon as we hang up. Um, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Can be personal, professional? I, I've got to go with where my heart is. So, Andrew, you were kind enough to reference the book that I authored that was published in 2016. People ask me about the book. And you can get a copy for free, by the way. Amazon, free Kindle download. CFA Institute Publications, free download. I'm not trying to sell anything here. <laughs> Point is, that book is actually what I care most about, uh, is rethinking our entitlement policies to generate sustainable economic growth. That book focused on retirement, healthcare, and education is the three main policy chapters, if you will. I have a, a somewhat of background in policy and retirement specifically. I've lectured on that book in 14 countries around the world now. And one of the takeaways became Fantastic, Michael. Thank you. Uh, when are you running for office? Not going to happen. So that is not my goal for the next 12 months. Well, I was going to say, announce yeah. on the show. <laughs> yes. No, not going to happen. Uh, is Michael, we're concerned about jobs. So you talk about uh, an era, a new era, we're shifting from entitlement mentality to responsibility with appreciation for those who are unable to be responsible. How do we have enough jobs? So I started thinking on the topic of jobs, and there's been a lot written on this in the last one to two years. And so I'm putting, I'm back into it. My research is done. The design of the book is done. And I hope to have my follow-up book to the 2016 monograph on the shelves available by the end of 2019. Well, that is quite a goal. And I look forward to seeing that and the listeners I'll keep links in there uh, for the Amazon book, and then let's look for the, this new one. Well, yeah, and the teaser, I'll give you the teaser, the three yeah. primary chapters in the prior book, the three primary chapters in the forthcoming book, work, artificial intelligence and robots, universal basic income. Those are going to be the three main chapters in the follow-up book. And then, Andrew, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> That's what they always say. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, I think you've got a very great, ambitious, and uh, meaningful goal. So we'll wrap it up at that point. And I'll just say to the listeners, good news. You've got another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And as we wrap up, Michael, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Lose profitably 
And what I mean by that is use your takeaways and your learnings from those losses to not repeat the same mistakes. They say there's no such thing as failure if you're learning. So my parting comment is, if you got to lose, at least lose profitably. Got it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. And I want to say that Michael and myself want to dedicate this recording and this podcast to the icon who has just passed, John Bogle, Vanguard, a real Vanguard and revolutionary. So we definitely uh, tip our hats in tribute. So fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.